huge news, years in the making, my brand new book that my publishers refuse to publish, Money Matrix. Beat the money system and build generational wealth. Understand the three main ways that the banks productize you and make money from you. You'll be able to turn that system against itself, build generational wealth and multiple streams of recurring income. It's all at moneymatrix.cash. And if you're quick, the first few hundred registrants and buyers will receive many special bonuses from me. The brand new Moneymaker Summit three-day special event. Meet me at a champagne reception. Meet me at a multi-millionaire networking dinner. Go now, moneymatrix.cash. This is huge. Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. What does the word disruptive mean to you? It means going beyond the ordinary, going beyond the status quo. Not thinking in the conventional way, not just sort of following the herd. Disruptive means taking things up, you know? Disruptive entrepreneur is somebody who sees the problem and embraces the problem with a new way. Shake up and awakening. Quality will take care of itself and you'll go from being disruptive but also profitable. When you use your own reservoir of talent, when you love what you do, then you disrupt. Mix it up, change it up, and dominate. And now, your host, eight times best-selling author and double world record holder, Rob Moore. Hi, it's Rob Moore here. Welcome to the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm in a very privileged position. I'm sat here with Rob and Mark VIP clients and lifetime VIP clients, so our mentoring clients. And there's, what, about 185 of us in the room, something like that? <laughs> Okay, there's about 30, 35 of us in the room, I believe. And I've just been asked about employing people. And I think, to be honest, and I don't think most people would tell you this, but I'm going to be honest with you because I think it's really important. I think employment is to some degree a bit of trial and error, and it is a bit of a lottery. And we've had some hires where pretty much first interview, pretty much first role, and we've still got those staff eight, nine years later. My mum, our MD, uh, our head of facilities and um, property management, uh, head of HR, they've been with us the whole time and they were our first hire. And you could kind of like go, yeah, look at me. I've got this hiring down. I'm a legend. And then we need to talk about my PAs and that, where I think I've now had 12 PAs. Um, so that's more than one a year and yeah. Hmm. So, uh, we haven't mastered that area yet. So I think there are four main areas when you're employing people, I think it's important to get right. And the first is a very good, compelling, hopefully quite unique job ad. Because your job ad, whether it's something that you post on Facebook or it actually goes on job ad sites or it goes to recruiters, the job ad is the filter and the qualifier for the kind of people that you're going to be seeing. Now, even if you're getting referrals from people, which saves on your recruitment fees, you still want them to see an advert for the job. And that advert, I'm not talking about necessarily being a paid ad. I'm just talking about Well, if someone wants it, what's the job? I'm not talking job description yet. I'm talking job ad. So you want to write a paragraph or two that advertises the role. And I think in your job ad, it's very important to try and showcase both your strengths and weaknesses equally and to create something that's quite unique. 
So with progressive, I might say, if you want a comfortable, easy nine to five job, stop reading and leave. It's a waste of your time. If you want variety, but chaos, if you want excitement, but disruption, you know, if you want um, there to be always new things to do, but your to-do list never done, then we're the kind of company you want to work for. If you're a perfectionist, definitely don't come here because we're start now, get perfect later kind of organisation. So you can see I'm trying to be very honest and very polarising and I'm almost trying to talk out the wrong people and talk in the right people. And the right people are going to be the people who have got similar values to us, disruptive, innovative, you know, fast, dynamic. But of course, the downside of that is obviously chaotic. And, you know, your ducks are never in a row. Do you love all your ducks being in a row? Good, bugger off somewhere else. Because, you know, there's always one duck, duck that's wonky in our organisation. Okay, maybe don't use that as a script. That's quite lame. But you know what I mean. Um, so that's the first bit. The second bit is the job description. Now, the job description is more detail of the actual role. Uh, now, I think the mistake most companies make when they do job descriptions is they just list out all the tasks. And it's very corporate. And at the bottom, they put anything else that the company deems to be relevant, i.e. they put a big disclaimer for that they've got to do everything. And it's not really that inspiring. And no one wants to be given a two-page document full of tasks to do. So on our job descriptions, we put the vision of the company at the top. We put the values underneath that. We put the uh, vision of the role. So your career will progress by doing X, Y, and Z. And then we put the key result areas and then we put the tasks. No more than two pages. We put the company values, progressive, innovative, personal. Then we put the internal culture values like ambitious, resourceful, and the other um, values we have that, that are internal. Because again, that job, job description is selling the role. And what you want with your job ad and your job description is to sell the right people in and push the wrong people away. And the reason I talk about this, Roy, and everyone is because we've attracted too many of the wrong kinds of people over the years. Because, you know, when you pay three, five, six grand recruitment fee every time, after a while, you get it. You just, you just don't want to hire the wrong kind of people. Now, the stronger your culture, the harder the wrong people are going to find it. Okay, so that's the second thing, the job description. The third thing is their CV. Now, this is probably subjective. I can only give you my opinion on it. I think if someone's had a job every year for the last 10 years, for me, that's a massive no. And there's got to be something really strong in that CV to want to see them more. Now, you could argue if you're starting out, if you get a year out of someone, you might be OK with that. But we're 13 years in. And if we're paying three, four, five, six grand for a recruitment fee, the last thing is we want to get, we want, don't want to be paying that every year. Apparently, the average person stays in a career for two years, which is not long. But I want minimum that if possible. And I want to see that they've got longevity. And I want to see that because if they haven't got longevity, it means a lot of things like one, they get bored really easily. But you don't want someone like that. Two, they get headhunted or allured by a new role very easily. You don't want that. They have no stick ability to go through difficult situations. You don't want that. I'm looking for staff if they've bailed from companies. As soon as it gets hard for a company, do they keep bailing on them? Because maybe they're going to do that for us. Now, 
Some people disagree with me on that. Everyone is entitled to my opinion. Um, I have just seen it too many times. Generally speaking, how people have been the last 10 years or 20 years is how they're going to be with you, generally speaking. So that's the first thing I'm looking for in the CV. Um, the next thing I'm looking for in the CV is can they actually do the job I want them to do? There's a lot at the moment. And there has been for the last sort of d decade, really. Well, really, you should hire people on attitude. It's all about culture. Well, it's all very good having someone who's keen, but if they actually can't do the job, that's useless. And some people say, oh, well, you can't teach attitude, but you can teach skills. Yeah, but you've got to teach them. And do you want to hire someone and then teach them from scratch? Probably not. So I want to know that they can do the job, unless... I am intentionally hiring an apprentice or a trainee. Now, if I'm hiring an apprentice, a trainee, an admin person or someone of relatively low skill, I don't mean that in any patronising way, but you know what I mean. In, in that, I'm probably looking for attitude. But if I'm hiring a coder, they need to be able to code. And I feel like there's too much, oh, just hire an attitude. Everything else can be taught. I'm not so keen on that. I think there's a lot of things that can't be taught. And you know what? If you're hiring someone, it probably means you don't want to do it. But you'll have to do it if you hire on attitude. Whereas really what you want to do when you hire is you're buying in experience. So the CV is really important. And then, of course, so if you've got, um, have they moved around a lot? Have they got experience? You know, how long have they been in a career? Uh, then you've got, can they actually do the job? I think it's really important to um, do a bit of research on them and check out the uh, references. A lot of people don't. I think it's important to do that. Now, by the way, if someone declines a reference, what does that mean? <laughs> it means no reference. So, you know, that, that, that may say a lot. The next thing then, Roy and everyone, is the interview. This is the fourth thing. Now. In the interview, I believe your main outcome is the following. And you want to write this down. You want to get the answers that you want without asking them the question. Because I have interviewed so many people. Their profession shouldn't be the job they're applying for. Their profession should be, I am a professional interviewer. I know how to game interviews. Because I've interviewed so many people who are great at being interviewed. And that was where their greatness ended. And they actually weren't very good at the job. Because you can do a load of research and you can say all the right things and blah, blah, blah. And your job as the interviewer is to get around all that bullshit. So I'll give you an example of where we used to do this wrong and now we do it better. We're hiring in events, let's say. We want them to work two out of four weekends. What's the natural thing to ask? Can and will you work weekends? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I work every weekend. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then they work one and then they're off for 17 years with stress because you overworked them. Yeah, nice one. Because they, people will lie in an interview because they want the job. They will lie. So we don't do that anymore. How do you find out if they'd work weekends? You just say, what do you do on your weekends? What, what do you mean? Well, just what do you do? What do you love to do? What, give me a, your average weekend. Oh, well, I go shopping, travel, you know, blah, blah, blah. Da, 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 da. And if never working events comes up, they don't work weekends. And they won't. And that's how I'm trying to get the answer to every single question. So, for example, instead of saying, what are your main weaknesses in your career? 
I'd say something like, if I had your ex-employer on the phone right now and I will call him, what would he say your weaknesses are? Or I'd say, if I had your ex sitting there, the scorned one, what would they say are your weaknesses? They tend to get better questions, though some people do weird out a bit about the ex question. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> so I'm looking to get the answer I want without asking the direct question so that we can stop them lying. Um, you know, like I like to know if they're um, coming for a role, not in every role, like if they're in admin and support, they don't need to be really keen on doing that. But you know, if they're in a really techie role or if they're in social media role, I want to know that they like doing that, that it's their thing. What do you do evenings and weekends? Uh, not related to work. What do you do evenings and weekends? I want to find out that there's a bit of this in it. What do you love to read? Don't, not about work. What do you love to read? I don't read. What do you love to listen to? I don't really listen to anything. Then they're not passionate about the job because anyone that is probably going to listen to audio books and um, podcasts and stuff like that. Now, you're never going to get your superhero perfect person. Where to find them then? Number point five, Roy, is where to find them. Now, I asked my head of HR to rank where we found our staff and I asked her to do A, just where we found the most, and then B, where we found the best. Because the most and the best can be different. So the specific ones aren't relevant to you because it's local to us. But actually, our top source is recruitment consultants. And in the early days, I was kind of against it because of the fees. Uh, but the reality is that is our best source. And we have one or two general ones. And then we have three or four specific ones, like some focus just on marketing people. Some focus just on sort of exec level and above. So that is our top source. Our second highest source is referrals from our existing staff. And I think we pay a few hundred pounds referral commission to a staff member if they refer someone, but they have to have worked with us for a year. So when we get to the year point, then they get paid the referral fee. Our third best are job sites. And our fourth best is um, Facebook, actually. Um, a few times I've put little ads and questions on Facebook. Um, you know, when we're, when we're recruiting. So they're our top four recruitment sources. Right, now, I have made all sorts of recruitment cock-ups. Like, I could write a book on it. And some of the things I've shared with you are learned from my mistakes. So I remember when we hired our first proper serious heavyweight staff member, our MD. Now, we only interviewed two people and the recruitment consultant I knew from the gym. So it was all pretty lucky. Down the gym, Sharon was there, who worked for the one group. Uh, I was just talking to her. She was obviously sort of seeding to win a bit of business and she was talking about, oh, you know, what staff are you looking for? I said, we, we really need like a, an ops manager because Mark and I are like burying ourselves in, you know, we're just sort of like, we're, we're growing fast and it's all a bit chaos and we, I think we realised we weren't very good managers. She said, oh, you know, I know a couple of people, you know, very different. One really strong and I um, can't remember what she said about the other one, but different personalities. I said, cool, you know, let, let's interview them. We interviewed two and we picked one. And Mark and I had no idea how to interview. We just sat on a, on a little sofa and sort of went, no, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? Why are you leaving your job? Blah, 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 blah. Um, and we hired her. She's still with us. She, she must be our best hire. 
We got so fluky. I had a question. Yes. One of the most important questions I ask at an interview. So I've just interrupted myself there because this is important. Then I'll come back to where I was. For me, the most important question in an interview is why are you leaving? Because, look, maybe this is where I'm at. I've had a lot of PAs leave. So I want to find someone who's strong and not going to leave. So, you know, if we were recruiting for roles where we didn't have much changeover, but like, you know, if they're leaving because they've had a fallout with their boss. I mean, I remember interviewing one PA and she moaned about her boss for 40 minutes straight. And, I, and every, she was moaning. I was going, yeah, I fucking do that. Yeah, I do that. Yeah, I do that. Yeah, I do that. Yeah, I do that. And I thought there was no way I could hire her. There was just no way. Um, but why are you leaving is really important because you, you and, and, and why did you leave the last role? 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 Because you, that's going to tell you why they're going to leave your role, probably. You know, Mark's a real big believer that the past will probably give you the most proof and evidence for the future. Okay, so anyway, back to uh, me talking about our MD. Well, honestly, we got her on good money um, because there was the recession and the big companies, people were kind of leaving. So we felt she was good value, one. And the other candidate was really nice, but we felt she'd be a bit weak for the role I, because we needed her to come in and be between... Mark and I and our other staff. And we knew that that was going to cause a lot of issues. And we knew she needed to be strong and had really good experience of doing that. She'd managed big sales teams, which we corroborated. And we felt she could be that person. And she really was that person. She did an amazing job and she still does an amazing job. She went from ops and then we promoted her to MD. And I don't see her as our MD. I see her as my partner, just, you know, just like Mark is because... Interesting how you got below market value and brought it up to market value. Yeah, yeah, we got BMV, <laughs> then we added value, but we're not flipping her, we're holding for life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, cool, right. There was something I really wanted to, I was, t- I was starting to talk about RMD. Um, ah, yeah, this was it. So our MD came in and started looking at everything. And what, also, we wanted to bring some corporate in- experience into our chaotic company because we were just like a couple of entrepreneurs who'd hired a load of entrepreneurs it was just a room full of young skinny energetic spiky head pointy shoed entrepreneurs and it was terrible recruitment um and she said what's your onboarding process and so I went and looked up what onboarding meant (laughs) and then I came back and said, well, I tell them where the computer is and I give them the login details. And then when they come to me saying, what's the login? I say, don't come to me with problems, come to me with solutions. (laughs) So she created an onboarding process where for a week they shadow other members of staff, they learn the role, they spend time with HR, knowing where everything is and how to do everything and going through their job manual and all that. And Mark and I were like, no, 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 give them to us, give them to us. You know, like, because when we hire... Certainly for the first 15 hires, our policy was wait until we're desperate, wait until everything is breaking and then hire. And actually, we got we got taught that by a couple of our mentors. The upside of that is you're lean and you don't spend too much. The downside of that is you're always fixing problems and fighting fires because you do it too late. So now we have onboarding and all of that kind of stuff. Um, And like I said, they shadow other staff members. They learn their role. They're able to watch the training videos, read the manual. 
They have about a week of doing that without actually getting into the, the job itself. For three months, they're allowed to make mistakes and not really be judged on it because they don't know the role. And the, we were always too desperate to get them in and chuck them in the fire. And I always used to have the attitude, chuck them in the fire. They sink or they swim. If they sink, they're not meant to be. They're not good enough. And if they survive and thrive, they'll have some steel about them. But the problem with that is that's fine if you're an entrepreneur. But you probably don't want to hire entrepreneurs. Why? If you hire you in a year, they'll leave because that's what you did. And you get pissed off when people act like the entrepreneur, but you're hiring a version of you. This, I think, is the mistake most people make when they hire. They hire an image of themselves instead of hiring for the role. So with admin, I actually don't want someone who works evenings and weekends. Because that will last two years. I want someone who's efficient with their time, which means they turn up on time, they leave on time and they get their job done on time. Because I've had people who work evenings and weekends because they do shit all in the day. And so I don't mind if they're sort of, that's their role. I'd sacrifice a bit of flair for someone doing the job efficiently, but I've only had three jobs in the last 20 years. And, and you know, I never used to value that before, but now I do. Because in certain roles, that's what you need. You know, like you want to watch out for salespeople who just always jump and always get headhunted. Now, we have a rolling recruitment policy now. I'd advise you to do the same once you've got your first few staff members, which is you're always out to the recruitment consultant saying, in marketing, in pay-per-click, in sales, I'm always interviewing. So anyone you've got that's good, pass them my way and interview them. Because you, you cannot time, just like when you met your husband or your wife or your, your divorced husband or wife, um, you can't time when you meet the right person. They come into your life with some serendipity. So when you're ready to hire, and there's been plenty of times when I've been ready to hire, and like, for example, the PA role pretty much all the time, and we've got two or three interviews and that's it. We haven't got enough candidates. So in the end, we've been forced to hire the best of what we believe to be maybe not the, the perfect candidates. Whereas if you're always rolling recruitment, so we've just hired someone to do pay-per-click for us. We've, we've not replaced anyone. We're just putting them, adding them in. Because I said to my MD about three years ago, pay-per-click is this rare resource. They're so hard to find. Keep recruiting. If you find someone who's good at pay-per-click, tell me and we'll hire them. I don't care if we're ready or not. Because finding great people and keeping and retaining great people, that is huge in your business. It's the same for letting agents, you know, when you're using letting agents for your property. It's the same with getting a good estate agent who's sourcing you deals, a really good refurb team, good mortgage broker. It's exactly the same. Now, the thing with staff that hopefully makes it less scary for you to hire, because don't forget, I've got 80 odd staff. So I'm talking to you from that position. So some people might think, well, you know, that's all a bit too much for me. I'm not quite ready. But hiring is not as risky as you think. It's quite low risk. Um, so like if you bought five properties in the next, say, six months, you'd be wise to use three different letting agents, two with that one, two with that one, and one with that one. So to test them to see if they're any good. And you assume, well, that's pretty easy to test letting agents because they're only getting 10, 12 percent of my rent. And if I want, if they're not working out, I can get my properties off them and move them to a different letting agent. But it's kind of the same with staff, because for one year, definitely, and two years, probably, they can come, you can try it. And if they don't work out after three, six months, you can just say, thank you. You don't even have to give them a reason why you're asking them to leave and they can move on. So it's not as risky as you think. You can start part time. You can start with 10 hours a week. Cool. Uh, useful, Roy? Yeah. 
Thanks for sounding so keen. <laughs> Thanks for tuning into the podcast. I know, I'm only playing, Roy. <laughs> and remember, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. <laughs> <laughs>